When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to another edition of the Underdog Podcast, Conference USA edition here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for group of five football coverage. The normal voice you're used to hearing at the top of this podcast is one of Joe Londergan. However, it is December 30th, 2021, which means Joseph is one day shy of his wedding. Congrats to Joe on his impending nuptials. It's actually delayed by a year. This was supposed to happen this time last year, but COVID happened and he and his bride decided to wait. So I want to give a huge shout out to my buddy. I've got a chance to know him really well over the past four years. Um, wish I could be there. You know, but that's a, another story for another day. But that is why Joe Londrigan is not on the podcast. Of course, you know my voice by now. I am Eric Henry, co-managing editor, Underdog Dynasty, also your FIU correspondent and beat writer and all things uh, in between for Underdog Dynasty. Got a special guest joined here today by a good friend of mine. Those of you who are in the Conference USA Twitter space, Conference USA online space know this gentleman. He is the head of Owls247, the 247 site for Florida Atlantic football, uh, for, for Atlantic sports, but mainly uh, for Atlantic football. You can find him on Twitter at Marinelli Shane, and uh, you can also find him at the Shulable Podcast. That's at Shulable Pod on Twitter. The pride of Broward County, Mr. Shane Marinelli. Shane, appreciate you making the time, man. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I've uh, I, I've hinted about wanting to come on here a few times and uh, chat some big picture conference USA, but uh, I guess we get to do it now. Um, I, I'm I it, like very much. I, I think it's nice and theme. I'm at the end of the year, and we're almost at the end of this edition of conference USA, which we'll get into. I I arrived at the party at two forty five a.m. There's there's like some liquor left on like in the cabinets not the good kind there's no mixers left uh like <laughs> all, all the good food has been eaten you know maybe there's like a little piece of like a of a sub left somewhere uh there's there's a mess but yeah i i mean nonetheless here i am shane really quick you say that and you do realize for, for the majority of uh I think our conference USA markets, I shouldn't say the majority, I'd say about half, right? Because I'm assuming in Texas, they get down like us in Florida. But for about half of the CUSA markets, uh, that party ends at 1245 with the bar shuts down at, at 1245, not 245, right? Yeah, yeah. It, what's, what's funny is I bought a ticket to attend a, you know, a New Year's thing the other day. And it's like, get in after 12. <laughs> like it, Midnight's like the pregame ends, right? You know, that, that's that's just – I'm like, man, I'm just getting too old for that. <laughs> Every year I say it's going to be my last New Year's doing this, and eventually it's going to happen. 
No, most definitely. Well, and we'll piggyback up right there. Uh, as you said, we are uh, taping on uh, December 30th. So I want to wish everyone who is coming off of their uh, Christmas and holidays and everything between. Happy holidays. Appreciate you uh, taking a, a spin on this one. This one should be out post New Year. So probably wish you a happy New Year as well. Hope everyone stays safe, especially with the Omicron variant for guys like us who uh, <laughs> want to cover college football games in person and then talk to athletes in person. We definitely are hoping that does not become a thing in 2022, but we'll go ahead and get to the episodes. This is going to be a Q&A episode. We want to get one of these in before the new year to kind of get everyone's thoughts before we get to spring practices, before the grad transfer, excuse me, before the transfer portal, you know, picks up, although I shouldn't say before it picks up, because certainly picked up already. Plenty of names have come in and come out of Conference USA. So want to get a Q&A in before the, really the, the complexion of the league changes too much. So we'll get started here. First question is going to come from uh, someone we both know very well, guy Kevin Fielder on Twitter. He is at Kevin Fielder. His question is, which CUSA team and player do you expect to take a significant jump forward next year uh shane you're the guest on this podcast i'll let you lead it off i i i think we've already started to see that jump at the end of uh this year so maybe it's not a true jump but man i really like a lot of the things nick fadiato was doing as middle tennessee's quarterback you know it kind of was thrown into the the fire you know that you have a hawkman gets it leaves and then the other it's because the other guy gets um, forget his name gets injured, and it's like, okay, this kid gets thrown in. And he plays that first game, and he throws three interceptions, and you know, he kind of settled in. They wrote in the quarterback rotation, and he finishes strong against Toledo. Um, had a really strong bowl game. Uh, he's kind of for those who know, he's kind of like a local legend in South Florida and the seven on seven circuit, and you know, played for a really strong high school down here. You know. Was, great quarterback, you know, just was probably a little small, you know, short to go power five. And I, I would not expected him to be the strongest at the end of the year. And I look at it this way, you know, I, I know middle Tennessee fans aren't, you know, overall, they're probably not thrilled with stock still and kind of them being that six and six team. They kind of are every year and maybe a little better, a little worse, man. He does get the most out of quarterbacks i mean is that a fair statement i mean you think back to dwight dasher and his son it's you know kind of these uh under the radar quarterbacks you know always seem to emerge and be really good at middle tennessee and now uh, i think nick Fadiato could be that next one no, Shane, listen, I, I think that's a fair point. Uh, I'll kind of give, you know, for listeners who aren't familiar, again, Middle Tennessee's quarterback situation. Everyone knows that the NC State, former NC State, former Florida State quarterback, Bailey Hockman, came in and left the program for three games to focus on his family. Nick Vadiato came in through seven touchdowns, six picks, a, a shade over a thousand yards, but really picked up as the year went on. The other quarterback that Shane mentioned was Chase Cunningham. He uh, yeah. ended up leading the team. Yeah, at 1,318 yards, 16 touchdowns, and three interceptions. So it certainly will be a quarterback competition, one would think. Of course, we can see what the what the transfer portal situation plays out there. But in my mind, and Shane touched on it, you know, A, to your question, I do think that Rick Stockstill does tend to get the most out of quarterbacks that you would say. And listen, I don't think that there's any shame or any slight on this, but the quarterbacks that you mentioned, none of those guys are going to play at the next level. Even his son, you know, his son very quickly, you know this, Shane, 
transitioned into a coaching career. I believe he began his career on Lane Kiffin's staff at Florida Atlantic. So he, he gets the most out of quarterbacks that seemingly their ceiling is the collegiate level. And I'll very quickly run down Nick Vadiato's kind of progression, Shane, uh, before I kind of give you my answer on this. He had his first start against Western Kentucky, as you mentioned. He, he you know, threw five picks out, so it was a tough outing. But from there, only threw one interception, threw five touchdowns and one interception the rest of the year. Uh, Shane, one quick thing, and I did say I would give my answer after this, but I want to ask you this. I want to know how big of a believer you are in this stat. It's one that I'm a believer in, but I don't think I've ever asked you this in you know, the time I've known you. If you look at the difference between Chase Cunningham and Bailey Hockman in terms of yards per attempt, Chase Cunningham, his adjusted yards per attempt ended up being something like 8.5, 8.6. Hockman's with that seven. With Vadiato and Mike DeLeo, the other two quarterbacks were forced into play, that number was around five yards per attempt, right? I mean, that's just a number that the average usually is a bit higher. Does that, is that something that concerns you at all? Or do you just think, okay, it's a product of both of them being young freshman quarterbacks and you got to scale things down a bit? Yeah, that's definitely the latter. Um, you know, I, I know he could push the ball down the field, but, you know, you know, Stockfield does kind of find a way to make it work. You know, I thinking about it with his son, I don't, you know, obviously he got the ball down the field, but they've always been good with kind of, you know, uh, that offense where they just, a lot of the screens and, you know, that they like to go, you know, like they like to play with a lot of tempo and they're going to get to the bubble screens and keep moving and kind of hit you over the top and they get single coverage. Like we see a lot of teams in college football do these days. Uh, you know, but when I watched that bowl game, Vadiato was pushing the ball down the field a little bit. You know, they they were definitely when he got his opportunities on one on one on the outside, he took advantage of it. And one thing, you know, he was always a pretty accurate quarterback in high school. Um, and mind you, again, it, there's a little bit of a I guess homerism here. I, Nick Vadiato, who transferred, is someone I've known since he's a sophomore in high school. So, uh, and I've seen the kid develop. So, you know, I know he's got it, but just the way he played in that bowl game, you see that type of growth in just a handful of weeks. It's like, okay, what's the ceiling here? So I'm not, yeah, I wouldn't be worried too much about that. If they're still averaging five in the middle of next year, then there's kind of an issue. Uh, you know, but I think also the biggest thing with Middle Tennessee is can they ever get really that, they never seem to have that dominant conference USA running back. It seems like everyone gets one every once in a while, every team, in Conference USA over the course of five, six years, gets that one running back, except for Middle Tennessee. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the last dominant back they had was Itavis Mathers. That was something like 2015 or 2016. He ran for 1,500 yards. So certainly has been a while. I'll quickly kind of give my answer here as far as team and player. Uh, I'll sum it pretty quickly. Um, Nick Vadiato was on my list, but uh, I'm going to go at ODU. Big believer in what Ricky Ronnie is doing there. And more, most importantly to that equation is the quarterback in Hayden Wolf. I do think that Hayden Wolf has done enough between the three games he started during the final, you know, what, five, six games of the Bobby Wilder. Um, uh, or excuse me, yeah, the fourth. He started three out of the final four games. There we go. Uh, of the Bobby Wilder era in 2019. And then starting the last seven of this year, I think he's shown enough to establish that he is certainly the quarterback for that team that have uh, all the respect in the role for DJ Mack, obviously being a, a former UCF Knight, but fact of the matter is that offense just really evolved with Hayden Wolf at the quarterback. So those would be two players. And I'll, I'll give one more out there. 
Um, Shadid Ahmed is a receiver for Marshall. I think a lot of COSA fans should keep an eye on. Now, of course, that uh, bleeds into our next question. Depends on what the Marshalls are part of this conference. Uh, and one more name. This is me being a homer here for a FIU a freshman linebacker by the name of Gaithan Bernadell, who uh, was second amongst COSA freshmen in tackle. So uh, goes to be my answer for that. Transition to our next question here. All right. Our next question here is going to be way too early Conference USA Championship game participants. I'm going to lead off with this one. And again, got to put the question mark. It, it depends. And we will talk about this a little later on. It was a question we were asked. What's the future of this conference? How quickly, quickly excuse me, can some of the teams who are departing the conference, how quickly will they be out? If the conference is as constituted as is right now, I am taking UTSA and Marshall. If it is not as constituted as it is right now, I'm going to take UTSA and I'm going to take a flyer, a flyer. Again, this is presuming that all of the teams who end up leaving, you know, are, are, are let's just say some, because I mean, it'd be difficult if all of them left. I mean, there might not be much of a conference, but let, let's just say, uh, you know, some of them leave, right? My, my next choice would be Florida Atlantic, but let's just say they're gone as well. I'm going to take Western Kentucky. Shane, what about you? Okay. Uh, I'm going to operate in the mindset just based on some of the early reports. You know, just if I was a betting man, I would say Marshall, ODU, and Southern Miss are not here. And then the teams waiting to go to the American are here and you're kind of like in this in-between lame duck, uh, make it 11-team conference, right? And you'll probably play. Uh, you, you mostly look like a round-robin schedule, but not under that assumption. You know, a couple things here. One, I like Middle Tennessee coming back next year. I, um, I, I just, from what I saw, you know, especially at the defensive line, you know, they had a couple guys. And, you know, they were really strong in that FAU game. Um, and like I said, Nick, I like love Nick Viato coming back. Uh, Marshall's always going to be a contender, but I think they need a new quarterback. I, we, I think we've, we've seen how, how far he can take them. And Shane, Shane like, real quick. I, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, Shane. I want to, I want to save a little bit of that Grant Wells. I think we got a question okay. that's going to give you a chance yeah, to comment on that. Okay. Yeah. I, I was getting the Grant Wells question. Okay, we'll save a little bit of that. Uh, but you know, like I said, I'm kind of operating in the mindset that they probably won't be there, and the rest of the conference will be there. Uh, I mean, I don't want to sound like a homer. I really love what that FAU's done in the portal. I mean, they, basically, their few holes cost them last year. You know, I think we overestimated their talent in just a few spots, and they've gone out with a really different approach this offseason, and they've added some big-time talent, through, you know, uh, through the transfer portal. So, you know, I, I think that's going to, you know, make a huge difference in some of the holes they had last year. So, uh, you know, from the West – no, uh, just to be, and also, guys, you would understand predicting next year. So, in a world of transfers and stuff like that, it's like, oh, definitely. yeah, like who knows right now what the rosters are going to look like. But why not North Texas on the way they finish their season, right? And a Middle Tennessee. Well, we're just going to go completely random because that's what G five football is. <laughs> No, you're you're not wrong there. And it, listen, 
I think you make all great points. The reason why, for me, I went with UTSA in Western Kentucky, A, UTSA brings back Frank Harris. And for regular listeners of this podcast, they know how I feel about Frank. I think he's been underappreciated for a while. I think, especially this year, his numbers, because of the fact that Bailey Zappi put up such eye-popping numbers, Frank's style of quarterback wasn't necessarily appreciated. But the fact of the matter is this. When it, and I, I think I tweeted this out from the main account and got you know some pushback on this. I'm not saying that Frank Harris went toe-for-toe with Bailey Zappi every single week in terms of passing yards. But when it came time for him to match up against the, the top quarterback competition that he faced, specifically Western Kentucky twice, he went toe-for-toe with him, whether that was using his legs to find a receiver on third down or using his legs to pick up a first down. You know, it, it, So the fact of the matter is, and really, I think he's progressed as a passer a ton, you know, from year one to where he is now. So I think Frank Harris is in line. If we're coming back next year and trying to project offensive player of the year candidates, he's going to be right there with Rasheen Ali and a couple others. And then when you talk about Western Kentucky, for me, I think some people, you know, if, if you if you aren't familiar with what the tops have, you're going to think, say, OK, Bailey Zappi, Jarrett Stearns. And those are two great players, two players with a lot of synergy, a lot of chemistry, obviously having played together at Houston Baptist. But offensively speaking, they have a fair amount coming back. You got to start very sneaky, Shane. For a team that struggled to run the football in their first four or five games, I think a big part of that was because of the competition they played and not necessarily that they weren't attempting to run the football because they had two freshman running backs in Noah Whittington and Kai Robichar who rushed for almost 900 yards. So I think that's a nice feature to have. I do think the fact that they recruited a quarterback for this system and Chance McDonald out of, I think he's from Spokane or he might be from Seattle, but he's, he's from Washington, but they did recruit a quarterback for this system. That to me gives me a level of, confidence as opposed to trying to either a go find another player from the portal for this system or b just fitting someone in and then they get back daywood davis malachi torley malachi corley excuse me and uh and mitchell tinsley at receiver so they still have plenty uh, mitchell did mitchell or tinsley did, get, i believe he's at penn state or did he okay see i, I there's the, the portal trying to keep up with that all right so i missed that if mitchell tinsley is gone then i missed that you could uh, have that on me shane um, but they okay. They bring back Daywood Davis and Malachi Corley. I know both of those guys. I think Daywood Davis was. Uh, or I don't think I know Daywood Davis did go over a thousand yards last year. Malachi Corley as well. So they do have some receivers coming back. And then you look at the uh, the younger Stearns, Josh Stearns, who will probably you know fill in some of that uh, some of the role that Ben Ratzliff and his older brother um, will will, uh, will have departed. The big thing with Western Kentucky is going to be defensively. You lose Malone and Jones. How? And this is something Shane, you and I have talked about a lot. Um, it seemed like D'Angelo Malone may have peaked two years ago. You, you also um, lose Shannon Bishop as well. Uh, um, say it one more time. You you lose you you lose you lose Bishop as well, right? Yes, yes, yes. You lose yeah. Beanie Bishop and Antoine Kincaid. Yes, so you lose a lot there. Um, so that's going to be a a big factor as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so Shane, I'll let you uh, kind of upon on that really quick before we transition. Well. I- Here's the question, and, and when you and I got a chance to catch up at the Boca Bowl, I asked you this question, and um, yeah. you know, as Bailey Zappi was throw, record-breaking, right? And, and this is still a season, yeah, great. If they played better at the end of the year, you know, it was still a product of competition, you know. I mean, but, you know, we could also say that. It, you know, they lost a close game to Army, you know, tough game. 
Uh, but I mean, two and ten Indiana, like, <laughs> um, you know, they they did lose to UTSA twice. Um, my thing is, is how many wins does Western Kentucky have? And this still would have been an excellent season. Would have still made him by far the best quarterback in Conference USA. How many wins does West Kentucky have if Bailey Zappi threw for 40 touchdown passes last year? And, and so for listeners to kind of, you know, get the point that Shane was making, um, it's an interesting question, right? Because it's essentially what Shane's getting at is <laughs> Bailey Zappi essentially had to set a new standard for passing uh, touchdowns in, in a year and uh, passing yards to get eight wins, right? So what happens if those numbers are, you know, a shade fewer in terms of yards and touchdowns? It's a very good point. Yeah, and then I you take say, away was, Bishop of a loan, a, a, you know, a gently, right, right. Uh, a Sarah, like, it, it, it also, you know, the, the offensive lie, you know, you lose, <laughs> you lose Mason Brooks too, like, um, and if you look at the recruiting, they didn't recruit a ton of young players last year, high school, to kind of fill it in. It was kind of lightning in a bottle. Let's go find an OC receiver. That I mean, that is that is a once. It, it, that's Haley's comment. Okay. So again, even if this quarterback comes back and let's say he throws 35 touchdown passes in the air raid, which would lead Conference USA in touchdown passes, most likely. That's not that is not a very good football team, still. And it is again, it's a really good and interesting observation on your part the fact that they had to do that just to get to eight and five. And you mentioned losing to UTSA twice. I mean, obviously, you can you can look at their schedule. Um, you know that Indiana ended up not being very good, and Army may have been a situation where styles make fights, but you can look at their schedule and say, okay, the Army game. The Michigan State game, facing UTSA twice, maybe that doesn't happen. But again, if the standard is you know trying to compete in the East, I do think it's an interesting point you raise. But we'll transition into our next question here. All right, our next question is from at Joe Broback on Twitter. Can Frank Harris, ironically, as we were talking about him earlier, be a future player in UTSA's offense? I'm going to leave this one just for you, Shane, because I've talked about Frank Harris a ton on this podcast. So have at it. Yes, absolutely. He he was a different quarterback this year. I know I'm preaching to the choir, to any UTSA fans out there. Uh, you know, I know they're going to lose some, you know, some skill position talent. Obviously, you're losing Sincere McCormick, but I really like the way they recruited. Uh, you know, uh, you know, trailer reminds me a lot of a coach that FAU had before Kiffin, and that's Charlie Partridge. D- didn't really, it didn't end up working for him at, out on the field. But all those star players that you had on those runs, the Devin Motor Singletary's, the Harrison Bryant's were all recruited by Partridge. And, and the way trailer recruits in Texas is very similar to that. So I'm confident that UTSA, granted, are they going to have a, a, another sincere McCormick? No. But will they get somebody that's definitely good enough and maybe upgrade in a couple other positions? Maybe it'll be a little bit better defensively on the back end, you know, um, and – yeah, I, I don't see any reason why Frank Harris couldn't put it together back-to-back years. I, I he, The quarterback I saw that, you know, the, the UTSA team that lost to FAU, and this is when we talk about, you know, kind of the, the, the little, you know, how uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for uh, here, how volatile uh, Conference USA football could be. I mean, UTSA is a team that lost to FAU and Nick Tronti by 21 points, you know, just in 2020. And Frank Harris missed so many throws in that game. I, I looked at it and said, I don't know if this guy's ever going to get it. And he, you know, he turned it around. So, um, but yeah, I love the way they recruit. I love the way they build their roster. They're going to be, long as trailers there, they're going to be in it every year. That'll lead into our next question. Again, keeping it in the realm of quarterbacks. It's from my good friend, Mr. Steve Hamner on Twitter. He's got a two-parter, and this is the one where, Shane, I'll give you a chance to pick up on Grant Wells here. The first part of his question is, biggest QB surprise of the season can be negative or positive. And then he added a second part here, which I missed, but that'll give you a chance to pick on Grant Wells. And if Grant is your negative or positive or negative surprise, feel free to use that as part of the answer here. But his next question is, also thoughts on Grant Wells from Marshall. So Shane, um, let there you go. A two-part question. So biggest QB surprise, either negative or positive, and then thoughts on Grant Wells. I mean, in the positive, obviously Frank Harris, who touched on him. I wouldn't say kind of this sounds a little pat yourself on the shoulder, but I think a lot of people thought that's what Grant Wells was. I think there's a lot of Marshall fans who think so. You say negative or positive. I think there was maybe for the people that were hoping he would take a step forward after his freshman year. But I, I just kind of get the feeling this wasn't negative or, or positive for him. This is what he is. Like, this is what I saw from him this year is what I ex- completely expect out of Marshall. Physical football team, they're going to have good skill position players. They're going to be always tough on defense. And they're only going to get taken as far as Grant Wells. And Grant Wells is going to give you two or three games where he just it's just not enough against good teams and it's going to hold Marshall back. I think I think there's a recording of me saying that exact sentence sometimes in August, Eric, and you know, because you and I talk about this all the time. I've probably made that exact statement with Marshall before, correct? No, you've definitely said that as far as on a shout out to the Shula Bowl podcast. I know you've said it there, and I'm sure you've said it in other venues. That's correct. Yeah, so it's just, you know, I, I wouldn't say he's a disappointment. It depends what your expectations were of him. My expectations were about what he was. Um, you know, obviously, but, you know, Bailey Zappi, no one expected. I, I thought he would put up big numbers, but, I mean, break the records. You know, absolutely, I was wrong there. Um, like I said, I figured he'd be that 35-40 touchdown pass guy. And, um, yeah, I mean, disappointing – Eric, maybe I, I, maybe a little bit more help on this. I, I just don't think there's anyone who had all these expectations that really, you know, there's not a Sam Howe of Conference USA or a Spencer Rattler. I mean, it, unless you, if there's someone more on the top of your head that you could say that for. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a fair point because it is a matter of your expectations, right? Now, if how about this? I will talk about... <laughs> And I know Charlotte fans have gotten on me for doing this, but I'll do it again here with you. I was a little bit disappointed in what we got from Chris Reynolds. And that's not to say that Chris Reynolds didn't have a decent year, right? But I guess for me, we've talked about him being one of the top dual threats in, in the nation and, you know, kind of the success he had during his first year. And I've kind of made the point that I feel, and some Marshall, excuse me, not Marshall fans, some Charlotte fans have pushed back Shane and said that 
it's not necessarily a matter of this is the the ceiling for Chris Reynolds, but that, and again, this is the, the thought of Marshall fans. I'm sure when we have Will Healy on the podcast uh, again, this off season, you know, he would say otherwise, but some of the, some of the play calling is, is kind of limited them. And Shane, we've seen, obviously, you know, as both of us who cover CUSA's teams, we've seen Char- Charlotte play a couple times and I can't necessarily say, I, I put you this way. It just feels like there's sometimes there's a lot left to be desired with Charlotte's offense as a whole. And I'll quickly run down Reynolds' numbers. He threw for 26 touchdowns, only nine interceptions. I mean, Chris Reynolds is never going to be a guy who's going to turn the ball over a lot. But it, it almost feels like, you know, some of it's either boom or bust or just really in, in, in the pivotal moments. It, 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 you don't necessarily get everything you're looking for. So I, I would say that. Um, and then in terms of another disappointment in my mind, Shane, as a whole, this is just an overall thing. Mike Bloomgren's been looking for a quarterback since the moment he got in Conference USA. And he has hit the transfer portal hard every single year. Are they either be a transfer portal or a grad transfer? And I just really thought that we'd get more out of the offense. Now, granted, Jake Constantine, once he ended up being healthy, did throw for a shade over 1,600 yards. But just to be at now year five with Rice and they still are searching for a quarterback – that to me is a bit of a disappointment. And on the positive side, yeah. I mean, I, I would put obviously Bailey Zappi there as well. Um, and, and I guess another name that I would throw out there, Shane, uh, two more for disappointments. Uh, I know you'll have an opinion on this one, A being Nikosi Perry, and maybe that's another byproduct of the offense as a whole. And then Gavin Hardison is certainly a guy who's got a spotlight on, on himself going into next year. Um, he certainly is going to have to prove whether or not he can take that next step. Still only completing... 55% of his passes. And we've had people say that he has one of the stronger arms in all of college football, but still, you know, really the consistency isn't there and that could be a byproduct of the play calling. So I know I said a mouthful there, Shane, I'll let you kind of pick it up. Yeah. Just to comment on Nikosi, I, I always say with, I know some FBU fans are frustrated at the end of the year, like on the list of issues that FBU had this year, he's, he's towards the bottom. I think they'll bring in some competition. They just, they need the depth as well. Uh, through the portal just because they have two really young guys behind him uh yeah you know I, I think some of it's just more of a product with him and FAU's you know kind of the realization that the skill position talent kind of really dried up for FAU really quick and it just was not there this year uh so you know again he still had 20 you know he had 20 touchdowns only seven interceptions and you know I think like six of those interceptions came in two games where they were just down and he was just trying to make something happen uh yeah I mean like I said you know like I think even before the year I think we said you know maybe there was an element he could be a game manager and he has to do something uh a little bit more I have a question when you say with surprise was that you know maybe it's another quarterback we're kind of forgetting in here uh and that's Dylan Hopkins yeah I um he played well like uh, he yes, was an upgrade. He, 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 I thought he was an upgrade for them. Are you saying an upgrade from from TJ three? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he he was he was a better version of what they want that quarterback position to do in UAB sure. football. And I, you know, I, you know, what's funny is we mentioned what um, Grant Wells. And let me ask you this: how yeah. how much di- we look at Dylan Hopkins one way because we have a certain expectation. We look at Grant Wells from another lens. 
you know, and this is when we talk about expectations, how much different is, you know, Dylan Hopkins and Grant Wells, do you, would you say really? And I'm asking because no. I think one just has a higher expectation than the other. You know, Grant, you know, Dylan Hopkins, we look at and say, hey, you know what? He's going out there doing his job, doing what they need to do to win. And, you know, maybe those couple of interceptions and Grant Wells, we have kind of these expectations for, and he plays a little bit more like Dylan Hopkins. It's interesting, Shane. Here's what I'll say. Part of me wants to lean into that because I do think the narrative around, I think the narrative around what we expect of Dylan Hopkins as a byproduct UAB quarterbacks is different because of what that offense revolves around, which usually is a strong running game and then a boomer bust passing game. Now, however, that narrative's changed a bit because Dylan Hopkins came in, didn't turn the football over nearly as much as Tyler Johnson and completed 66% of his passes. Now, here's where I, I, you, I, it gives me pause, right? Because I had seen Grant Wells play a ton on, you know, on TV. And then the Marshall game, of course, in 2020 was canceled due to COVID. I got a chance to see him play in person and I made a point to go watch him warm up. And I, I mean, literally to the point where, you know, the route, Shane, that you got to take to get back to the field is crossing the, that Marshall um, field house, you know, where they come out of, I'm sure you've seen it on TV. And I, I, I was looking down at my phone, sitting out a tweet and almost ran smack into Grant Wells as the QBs were coming out. I only say that story, Shane, is to say, Grant Wells is surprisingly big. I mean, yes, he's not 6'5", 220, but he's every bit of his 6'1 and change, you know, I look to be even, t- I mean, Granny had cleats on, so he probably closer to 6'2". Um, he, he's a big guy and very athletic for his size. So I guess, Shane, my point in saying this is, and you know this, as someone who covers, whether it's seven on sevens and you cover high school football, you, you'll appreciate this sentence. It is easy to fall in love with a guy when you see him in person and you see them as a physical specimen. It's like, man, you think there should be more there. And I think that's where I'm at with Grant Wells. And maybe that flies in the face of what you would probably posit, which is his overall, you know, evaluation coming out of high school was not someone who was going to be much better than looking at it right here, 3,500 yards, 16 touchdowns and 13 picks. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You you look at like everyone kind of sees it and Grant, you know, sometimes he throws some of these deep balls um, where you're like, wow, like, wow, he's big and he can make that throw. You know, it, that's you, you start thinking, you know, what's the ceiling? So I, I think there's a little perception there. But my, you know, like, just to kind of wrap it up, my overall point was one has larger expectations in your head. So, you know, one's more of a disappointment and, you know, one's just like, hey, run this offense pretty well. And, you know, he's considered an upgrade. Uh, and, you know, when you made the description, like, hey, we're going to win with a strong running game, a defense, and a boomer bust passing game. You know, I just described what Marshall and UAB are. And, you know, um, and maybe Marshall a little bit to a less degree because, you know, they get in, like, throw to the backs and stuff like that. But very fair point. We transition to our next question. It's from our own Jared Kalmus, Jared UTSA on Twitter. Who was the most underappreciated player in CUSA this year? And there's a lot of directions, a lot of ways you can take this one, Shane. I'm definitely intrigued to see who you say. I have a feeling there's a name that will come up in your name, and feel free to give more than a, more than one because I know I certainly will give more than one. But uh, yeah, most underappreciated player in CUSA this year. 
I'm I'm gonna go full homer, full homer. Just let's just I Evan Anderson is completely under underappreciated in what he is in this league. Uh, I think next year, I think we're just it's gonna just finally you know I think some coaches started hinting at it, and I know people that played against FAU. Uh, first of all, for him not to be on first team all conference USA defense, absolute travesty. I mean, coaches should lose their votes. Uh, I mean, he's purely dominant, and like if he didn't put up huge sacks number, but you know he's a he's a straight zero tech nose tackle, and who who I watched just just destroy people, and yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think he's completely maybe because it's the position. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I can't. Outside of that, I don't know why he is so underappreciated in this league. Shane and I have had this debate and discussion many times. I don't want to come off as the guy who is doubting or, you know, hating on Evan Anderson because I'm a huge fan of what he does. And I've had a chance to see him play now. What's it been? It's two years. Yeah. Uh, play, you know, two seasons, right? Shane is a three with Evan. Two, two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Just, just making sure with the, with the COVID year, I'm having trouble remembering because I know he's a sophomore, but I'm trying to remember, or, um, you know, it, well, yeah, he's a, he, he was a second year freshman last year. Right. Year. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So you see, it's trying hard to keep up, but no, I had a chance to see him play live twice. He is the real deal. Um, I, you say the fact he didn't make the first team is a travesty. I listen, I do understand. I believe the defensive tackles trying to remember off the top of my head were Elijah Garcia and Dion Noville. Or was it Jay Ferg? I got to go back and check. Uh, Jordan Ferguson from Middle Tennessee. Either way, I do understand the coaches seeing both those guys. Uh, actually, no, I'm looking at it. It was uh, Elijah Garcia and Tyree Turner. So, okay, you know, either way. And then when you look at the the second team, uh, Dion Noville and Jalen Haynes. Um, so, yeah, and listen, Jalen Haynes is a solid player. Matter of fact, a very solid player. But I could definitely make the argument that Evan Anderson – uh, deserved a spot on at least one of those teams. I, I honestly know I would have put him first team, but nevertheless, um, very, very excellent for, again, Shane, I have no problem in going full homer there because Conference USA fans as a whole, probably that's a name you don't know because he's not going to rack up 60, 70 tackles just by virtue of the position he plays. And Evan Anderson probably doesn't get the, the recognition per se, but in another year or two, he will easily be playing at the next level. I think Shane and I both, or an agreement there. I'm going to throw out a couple names. Uh, Old Dominion's Isaac Weaver. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows. Huge fan of Isaac. You know, the work he's done uh, on ODU's offensive line for five years now. Another guy is UTEP's Bobby DeHero, who thought he would have broke through and at least made a first or second team, especially with UTEP winning more games this year, but has been one of the more reliable offensive linemen in the league for a while. Again, you know, I, I know the answer was one, but I'm cheating here and giving like four. Blake Watson from ODU had a nice year uh, as a running back, you know, really down the stretch and had five or 600 yard games in a row. Last two I'll throw out there and I will go home. Eric, can I just agree with you there? No, no, what's up? He yeah. was one yeah. of the feistiest backs FAU saw all season. Just when I saw him, completely underrated uh, running back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, and especially for a guy, Shane, who. A, his natural position was not running back, was a receiver coming out of high school and was a just primarily receiver kick returner in 19. Uh, Elijah Lala Davis was supposed to be the running back for ODU this year. 
Uh, and Lala did still get some of the second team reps, but Blake Watson really came on and, and won that job. So, uh, you know, certainly an underrated back. Uh, and last two names I'll give here, again, going full homer here, Richard Dames. Only going to shout out Richard just because of the fact that FIU, because of the fact they went 1-11, you know, there wasn't much on that team that really got recognition outside of Tyrese Chambers. And uh, last but not least, Western Kentucky's John Haggerty. Because of the fact they didn't punt a ton, John Harry didn't get the the numbers, but he averaged something like 50-something yards per kick. So had a hell of a year there. Uh, we'll transition to our next question. Got a few more here before we wrap this one up. And also going to give Shane, you know, a couple minutes at the end to talk about recruiting, whether it be FAU recruiting or just, you know, recruits as a whole. I have no problem with Shane jumping on here and doing his thing. Appreciate him making the time again, as always. Next question is be from Nick Popejoy on Twitter. Actually, no, hang on, hang on. I, I think I'm I'm missing one here. Uh, am I? Um, let me take a pause. Taylor, be sure to edit this out. All right. So the next question here is going to be from Nick Popejoy on Twitter, and that is, will ODU, Southern Miss, and Marshall be part of CUSA in 2022? If not, enjoy listening to y'all every week. Shane, I know you and I kind of talk about this off air, but please, by all means, if you want to kind of elaborate for our our audience, some of what you've been hearing, and I'll I'll kind of piggyback off uh, and pick it up where you leave off. Yeah. So, listen. I mean, obviously, people know that there's nothing holding these teams, right? You know, so everyone else going to the American, the six teams. Uh, the, you know, you're waiting for the Oklahoma, Texas dominoes to fall, which is still in my head crazy. You know, the, the college football world just waiting on a team that lost to Kansas. Um, everyone hinges on them. Uh, but, you know, you're still waiting for those dominoes and then, you know, UCF and so on and so forth. There's no dominoes for entrance to the Sun Belt. And then there's no kind of point, and I can see it for Marshall, ODU, and uh, Southern Miss and James Madison, who will be joining them from FCS, which is a little bit more complex, uh, you know, to wait around if, if things work out. But I, w- I will say this, I, you know, I, I was – uh, messaging with a high-level source would be really in the know on this. And, you know, I, you know, I asked about exit fees and, you know, oh, does, you know, does, uh, you know, does the schools that are going to the American in 2023 that, you know, are here, are here for 2022, if ODU, Marshall, and Southern Miss leave, do they get their exit fees, right? Like, technically, they're still in the conference. And it was basically akin to, like, a messy divorce, and, you know, who's owed what? Everyone feels like they're owed something. Obviously, the, the team, you know, the teams remaining in the conference for the long term, you know, don't want to give up exit fees to schools that are just going to take it and run to another conference the next year. So a lot of this is just litigation, 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 and how TV revenues are split for next year. So, you know, I know there's going to be tons of Internet rumors and message boards, and I had a friend tell me, but if you read this legal document here – Right. So every school is going to be fighting over, uh, you know, money and revenue and exit fees and this and that, uh, you know, basically uh, the, the people that come out, the biggest winners in this are the attorneys. OK, they, they are owed the most. <laughs> they win. OK, the, the attorneys end up being power five in the end. Right. When the time they do all this litigation between Conference USA schools squabbling over a few hundred thousand dollars and a few million dollars in exit exit fees and uh and revenue so um and tv revenue so yeah by the time the dust settles on that but i have a feeling they'll be gone i i just don't see a reason you know marshall wants to get to playing 
you know, I, I, I know those regional things that matters in, in a program like Marshall where, you know, they're not, they want to play their regional schedule. Their fans want to play app state and, um, you know, coastal Carolina and just kind of, it fits them and they want to get to playing it. So I can see why, uh, I mean, what we could speculate on what conference USA look like next year, but yeah, I'll probably be kind of an, an awkward odd number conference maybe for a year. Shane, are you there? Yeah. Did you want to answer that too? No, you cut out at the end. That's why the uh, last thing I heard you say was we can kind of speculate what conference USA will be, but don't worry about it. Just we'll, 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 yeah. we'll edit it. So it's, it's a smooth transition. <clears throat> yeah, no, Shane, I'm pretty much in hearing. And I also contacted a source earlier today and we do need to give credit to uh, the at least one, you know, at least confirmed report or at least rephrase that. Not a confirmed report. Scratch this. Taylor, you have another edit. Shouldn't use confirmed report. All right. Yeah, Shane, no, I also texted a, a source when the report came out from CUSA Abs on Twitter. It's an unconfirmed report, so nothing has been confirmed at all, but did want to at least credit them as the ones who were the first to say that uh, some of the teams, at least the teams that are scheduled to be heading to the Sun Belt, will be leaving. So that is at CUSA Abs on Twitter. Uh, certainly a great Twitter forum for all Conference USA fans if you want to go check them out. But yeah, essentially, Shane, what I've been hearing is what you heard, that A, the lawyers are the real winners in this, and they will continue to be because it's essentially, you're lacking it to a messy divorce. And listen, whenever time, any, anytime you have people living in the same home, despite knowing that you know they're going to be going to a, a new partner, right? That certainly likens to a messy divorce. Essentially, if there can be, and this is you know, kind of paraphrasing what my source told me, if there can be some sort of resolution to where it's a clean split, it's clean split, excuse me, um, and I mean clean in the sense that all sides, all parties can kind of get something that they view as beneficial or, or resolute for them, then the teams go, the teams who will go to the Sun Belt will essentially proceed. Um, but if until that is figured out or somehow, you know, kind of all sides, all parties can feel comfortable with what they get. We're going to be in for a fight. So um, I I don't want to say that anything, excuse me, I don't want to say that something is imminent. Um, I would definitely say anything is possible, but I, (laughs) if I were a betting man, I'll use a Shane analogy here. I I would bet that um, it's, it's difficult, but if you ask me to bet, I, I would bet that there are some teams who will end up leaving the league before the start of the 2022 season, which teams and how many, I I can't speculate any further than that. But uh, again, it's going to come down to the lawyers. This is where it's their time to earn their money. So with that, we'll transition into our final two questions. Uh, Shane, we're going to do this. I'm going to flip the order here. So uh, I want to save the question. I think I sent you next uh, for our last question, because I think that'll be a smooth transition for you to talk a little bit of recruiting. So I will, Flip to this question, which is, I uh, believe it was from Ross Shercleff, uh on uh, on Twitter. Got to double check that. I will verify that after I read the question. But the question is, biggest surprise and biggest disappointment on the season for as far as teams are concerned, Shane? I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. Definitely was very disappointed this year, especially where they finished, right? Now, granted, I think when you take a step back, it's like, maybe we misread that. It's not as disappointing as we thought, right? And there's a little overrating of some of the talent, but nonetheless, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that biggest surprise, hmm, 
I think that really, again, what you thought, what you thought Western Kentucky was going to be at the beginning of the year. You know, I, I think a lot of people kind of had them in the six and six to eight and four range. So I guess it was correct, but you know, it looked really good at the end. So, you know, maybe the, you know, they definitely, it, like I said, it's really just your expectations on them. Another disappointment. I mean, Louisiana tech, I, I get, you know, they're, they're usually pretty solid, but they just kind of unraveled this year. Uh, the first half of, I don't want to take any of your answers, the first half of North Texas this season, and the biggest surprise was the second half of North Texas this season. <laughs> <laughs> like, great, like, great. Like, I mean, they just so – I like that one. So, so <laughs> like, what – you know, because North Texas had a point, Steve, like, yeah, that was done. They were they – were, they were, um, holding a bake sale to buy out the, you know, uh, the coach and actually they're beating ranked teams at home. So they didn't end up going on to win their bowl game, but I think it's enough to keep everyone around for another year. No, listen, that's a great answer on your part, especially the fact that they had to beat UTSA to kind of get to where they were at and qualify for a bowl. So no, that is a definitely a good answer on your part. Um, I, I also did have FAU as my disappointment or one of my disappointments. I, I, I'm going to go Homer here and listen, I didn't expect FIU to, you know, win 10 games or anything of that nature, but Shane, you know, this is someone who's very familiar with the talent on that team being from South Florida. Yes. They've lost a ton of scholarship players and this is before the end of the year. They had lost, I think I wrote this in November prior to the prior to the Southern Miss game, if memory serves me correct. Um, and it, that year was so long, I can't remember. But it, it was, it would put you this way. It's before the end of the year. I wrote a piece about just the amount of, of roster of scholarship players that they had lost due to the transfer portal heading into this year. But to win one game with it only being against an FCS team, that was A, disappointing, and B, they were getting blown out by 30 and 40 and 50 points. And yes, again, some of that was a byproduct of just sheer bodies, but they, they looked as if they didn't even belong on the field with certain teams. And in my mind, that was disappointing. My surprise is somehow, or, or, Eric, Eric, hold on, Eric, can I just apply on FIU for a second no, no, here? Go at it. Go I really it. would like to know where their season, it, and I think some of it was, the righty would after the first four games, the righty was on the wall. And you, everyone knew that, you know, every it, Butch was done, right? You know, I really like to see where FIU season would have won, went if they would have hung on versus Texas State, State and Central Michigan. You know, maybe like the whole mindset around that program changes. Do they go on and make a bowl? Probably not. But are they getting blown out? Do more players stick around? Is there a little bit more investment? A little bit more. It just seems like after, especially the Central Michigan game, and then I think they followed that with getting blow, their kind of first blowout by FAU, like the air was sucked out. Like the season was done. People were just going through the motions at that point. So I'd like to think if they hung on to that Central Michigan-Texas State game, maybe they squeeze out a couple more victories down the stretch. Shane, you are not you are not wrong in any way. For Again, for listeners who may not know, they opened the season with a win against Long Island University, FCS Long Island. They followed that up. They had a lead against Texas State, ended up losing that 23-17. to They headed to Lubbock and, of course, you know, ended up uh, 
getting blown out by 33 points. And that game was one that, if memory serves me correct, was a, a one-score game at, at half. Or may, may have been maybe a two-score game, but one that was close for about a quarter and a half, and then turnovers got to them. But the Central Michigan game is one that Shane mentions. They were leading by 17 points heading to the fourth quarter, and they just made a quarterback switch. I believe it's the kid from uh, the local kid from South Florida who, uh, who ended up beating them. His name's escaping me right now. Jacob Sermon is the one I know who started the game. Uh, but Central Michigan, they lose that game 31-27. And then, as Shane mentioned, the wheels just really fell off that FAU game. They, they were never really in it. Nikosi Perry, I'll never forget that opening drive, just let him down the field. That was FAU coming off the game against Air Force, where they said they'd want to start quick, and they sure as hell started quick. From there, yeah, it, the, the last six games here, they lost by 12 points to Charlotte, and that game was was should have been that close. 15 points to Western, that game never really was competitive. 38 points to Marshall, 23 points to ODU, 40 points to Middle Tennessee State, 42 points to North Texas, and then 20 points to Southern Miss. So, no, Shane, you're, uh, you're hitting the nail on the head there. And then as far as a, uh, a surprise, Rick Stockstill. <laughs> that, that was my surprise, and I shouldn't be surprised because anyone knows, as Shane mentioned earlier on this podcast, and this is not, I, I, this is going to sound as if I'm saying this sarcastically or a joke. It is not meant to be this way. If anyone can pull seven and six out, it's Rick Stockstill. That, that, that's meant to mean it's not that, you know, he's mediocre or anything like that. It's just meant that there are times when you don't see seven and six entering the year, and Rick Stockstill managed to get seven and six. So uh, that was a surprise. I, I definitely felt, especially. And, and I think it was a surprise to me, Shane, after the year started the way it did for, for Middle Tennessee, with, of course, them starting out slow and then losing a quarterback, your starting quarterback. I mean, that's a tough situation. Nobody stays alive like Rick Stock still. And no Nobody. one stays alive like Rick Stock still, no <laughs> doubt about that. So, uh, yeah, to, to open the year one and three and then to, you know, beat Marshall and, and uh, beat some of the teams they did in order to, you know, and then, listen, my mind, beating FAU, that one surprised me as well even though FAU obviously was struggling at the end of the year, but FAU was starting to playing for a bowl. That one uh, surprised me as well. But our, our last questionnaire, Shane, I think it's going to be a smooth transition to your wheelhouse, which is recruiting. It is from Mr. Eddie Handel on Twitter, someone that Shane and I both know very well. Here is his question. If you were a new coach on a rebuilding team, i.e. FIU, do you rebuild with the transfer portal or JUCO focus or build with a foundation of youth? Shane, I'm going to leave you a lot of room here for this. I, the only thing I'm going to uh, lead with is uh, you say a new coach on a rebuilding team. You know this, Shane. There's rebuilding and there's FIU, which I, I'll let you elaborate on just how drastic and not you know normal this is. We're somewhere in the range of between 40 and 50 scholarship players. That, that's not just a rebuild. That's it's, it's huge. Again, you're the recruiting, you know, kind of uh, recruiting focused. So I want to let you elaborate on, on uh, the differences between a rebuild and only having 40 and 50 scholarship players. But uh, his question, do you rebuild with transfer portal, JUCO focus or build with a foundation of youth? Well, it depends how long of a leash, how patient the fans are and how understanding they are of what's happening um but i think either way fiu is looking at two and ten one and eleven next year okay uh you know you're not going to get the quality trans like you know your fau is brought in i'm using fau's examples 
a Morvin Joseph this year, a Marvin Scott, okay, a Nebraska transfer, a Tennessee shirt. Guys who are like, you know, top players in the state of Florida. They still have, I think each of them still have four years of eligibility left, okay? Um, those type of transfers, you know, blue chip kids who just want to come home after a year, right? Uh, I think FIU is in a good position with so many schools using their scholarships on transfer portal players. Remind you, Conference USA fans, we talk about this all the time, Chewable. You can only take so many kids a year. It doesn't matter how many kids transfer out. The rule is now you can take 25 kids in a, in a year, okay? So these are what we call counters. That, that doesn't matter. High school, JUCO, transfer. You can take 25 plus up to additional seven for every kid that transfers out. So if you have, you know, you have 25 and if three kids leave, you could take 28, okay? Uh, uh, going all the way up to seven, which would make it 32. FIU as well into that 32 range. So they could take 32 players. I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. Looking at it. You know, I, I've seen some of the kids they offered, and I, at, at a point, you do just need to offer some guys that are bodies that are just ready, just bodies that could just play and eat downs. It's like not even about being good, right? They just eat some downs for you because, like, just to be look like a competent football team out there. Uh, but because there is so many teams, especially in the group of five, using their scholarships for transfers. There's a lot of really good high school football players out there that are just getting passed over. And I may, and I've said this exact thing on the Super Bowl podcast, and, and this probably applies to other schools in Conference USA, right? You know, in a, in, a, in a normal year, if this was just back to the old February signing day where you're taking 25 high school players, you know, compare mine for sure. You know, there's a lot of high school players, and especially in South Florida, where it's like, okay, this kid would be, be deciding between Syracuse, FAU, uh, maybe a Georgia Tech was kicking the tires with him late. You know, uh, you know Marshall was down here. You know, that, that type of, I mean, that kind of like high-end three-star kids. There's a lot of kids like that down here who are just not getting looks. And if I'm FIU, I would load up on those kids. You have a chance to take as many of those type of kids without having to fight for them as you want and promise early playing time. I would take my licks. I would take two, three classes, you know, two solid classes of those types of kids, and then maybe go ahead and into the third year, you could start to add some top of the roster talent where maybe some of those kids don't work out. And I would take my licks for two years. I would just play the young kids, just recruit a good base. It's essentially what Charlie Partridge did. You know, people forget the year before. And granted, it's a little different situation. FI has a new head coach, so it's, you know, I, I, it, Charlie Partridge was fired. but you know, FEU lost went to West Kentucky 52-3 to the year before they went 11-3 and won the Conference USA title. Like, all those players grew up at once. And But my question is, and do fans have patience for this type of rebuild anymore in today's society? Can, you know, FIU's coach wasn't met with a ton of fanfare. Does he have the ability to say, hey, guys, we're going to go 21, or we're going to lose 20 games over the next two seasons, but I promise you in year three, it's going to be good. Like, I, I personally don't think they have an option. Like, you're not going to go out and fix this through the transfer portal. 
Uh, but so it, that, that's why this is such a tough situation. I mean, it, it, it will pay off, but I just don't know if those fans can kind of withstand that. So Shane, I want to ask a couple of follow-ups there because I, eventually I do want to broaden this out to something larger than FIU. Um, but I think you made a very good point in terms of talking about the level of transfer that fans can expect. I've seen some FIU fans, some, don't want to say all, but some a little bit disappointed in some of the players coming from VMI or FCS, you know, um, FCS schools or others. Well, you're not matter, a but no, no, like, Shane, no, hit, hit it. To join a team that's probably going to lose 10 games. Sorry. Like, if you, it, 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 it's just the reality of it. That's exactly what's my point back to them. You're talking about a team that finished 1 and 11 last year and was getting blown out as we talked about down the stretch, right? So it's not exactly a desirable destination, despite the fact that you're in South Florida. It's not like you can go get South Florida kids. But Shane, I do want to ask you this because I think this is this is interesting here. Um, can you elaborate for our audience just how and you talked about it a bit, the amount of kids you're able to bring in um, either way. You, you, you can't even if you lose 40 players, you can't go bring in 40. But can you just talk about how drastic, how um, I don't know what word of emphasis you would use when you talk about a team that's somewhere between 40 and 50 scholarship players? Let's just say 45 split the difference how drastic that is it's huge it affects things like special teams and it's like it's it like i, I don't i don't even know how you feel the team i mean that's an nfl roster right that's how many players are on but like in college football i mean you want to consistently play eight nine defensive linemen Right, you might have eight nine on your team, but I promise you, three of them are guys. You're like, if you put out there, like your your fifteen yard gashes are coming. I that's that's where FIU is at, and that's why I'm like, you know, even if you slot together twelve transfers, I mean, that's why you just or you just need guys that could just that are just that won't embarrass you at this point. Like, just go out there and just kind of take their licks while the young kids develop. Um, it's it's bad. I mean, even before COVID, most schools, because of the counter rule, you know, on how many kids you could take in a year and transfers, the attrition was so much higher in college football. Most schools, no one was at 85 scholarships. Nobody. Everyone was floating around the 70, 75 range, uh, which is a whole debate for another, you know, podcast. But and the biggest thing is, again, it affects special teams. You end up having to use freshmen in more than four games, so they lose their red shirt. You know what I mean? It's 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 a it's a it's a it's a really big cluster. Put it nicely. Two more follow ups on this, and we'll close up this podcast. I do want to broaden it out again. You know, let's take that question that Eddie had, and let's not apply it to FIU. Let's say, for example, this was. Old Dominion two years ago, or this was, you know, Rice still kind of being in, in the, the midst of their rebuild, or or let's use Southern Miss. I think they're a good example, right? You know, a team that last year, excuse me, two years ago, won, you know, a handful of games and they really struggled. And 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 listen, they did have a couple games where they uh played really tough by one or two scores or lost, excuse me, by by one score or less, considering the fact that they had three head coaches right in one year. And then this year we saw what happened, they go three and nine, but they didn't have a quarterback for the last few games of the year. Um, just talk about how you may handle those type of rebuilding approaches. I, it doesn't have to be in specificity those teams, Shane, or you can use them if you want to. 
but how that would differ from, you know, maybe an FIU per se. Well, I mean, I probably say to have 45 scholarships, you know, I, I think there was, yeah, I think there was also an advantage with um, ODU. They got, they kind of got to miss a year, right? Uh, that's, it, the fact that they didn't have they you know they that they just skipped out on 2020 and you know I'm and they're about that the recruiting class was even ranked really high but you know they you took a fair share of high school kids they got to almost kind of skip a year of licks so yeah I, I don't think it's that it, I think the ODU one's a little bit more of a, is a much better comparison to what kind of FIU is in at this point but you know, it'd be like if FIU could just practice this year and not and kind of save themselves from the rebuilding year. And then the last question for you, Shane, again, I do want to kind of give you a chance to just take recruiting whichever direction you want here with this being your wheelhouse. Um, I'll, I'll broaden it out and ask it to you this way, Shane. Just general observations as far as, you know, where we kind of are. Again, we're heading to what now kind of seems to be the main recruiting period, which is that secondary signing day, right? That late signing period, which of course didn't exist uh, seemingly a, a few years ago. It's kind of feels like it's been around for a while now, but you know, this wasn't always a thing. And now this seems like it's the main signing day, the February signing period. But some of your observations, whether it be maybe from FAU, I know you've talked about them having a strong class or from just the rest of conference USA as a whole, and maybe, you know, um, some things that have caught your eye, uh, either in again use air quotes the early signing period, or or you know some things that may be surprising as we're heading into the uh, the February signing period, and, and that could be from the high school route, it could be from grad transfers, or Shane, you, you kind of also talk about this. Feel free to expand on maybe your thoughts on how high school recruiting is being affected by the transfer portal. So again, I know I said a mouthful there. Hopefully, you found a question in there that uh, you want to take this in any direction you want. Yeah, the second one's a whole podcast. I, I did a, <laughs> I, I did a, like a what are the 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 Twitter Spaces, which I joke, you know, uh, someone's like, oh, Twitter Spaces, so it's a great invention. I'm like, oh, you're a little young for AM radio, which is right. all that, <laughs> like, a couple of hosts, let's take some callers, right? So, um, yeah, everything comes full circle. But yeah, I mean, everyone's kind of taking a different approach. Marshall went heavy high school. Granted, they you know they took six transfers as well. They kind of filled out their class early. Um, but great, you know, it, it's so hard to judge, especially this year, because a lot of the how much space the team has is based on how many transfers they might have lost last year or lost this year. If you're if you're a team that didn't have like FAU has a, had hardly anyone transfer out. You know, and I've said this openly, and this is all teams. They, there's probably a handful of players on the team that need to transfer out to open up some space. So, you know, you can only take so many. So every team is kind of in a different situation. You know, the days of on the the Thursday, the first Thursday in February, when it's, let's compare my 25 guys versus your 25 guys is gone. Teams hold scholarships to the summer. If a handful of players transfer out after the spring, you want a scholarship to replace them. You know, uh, you know, a couple guys in spring practice realize that they're never going to play. So it's it's just completely different on how we look at it. You know, um, and you also got to remember rosters tend to lean young. Um, you know, it, with the COVID, you're not counting. I just know in FAU's 
76% of FAU's roster, and this will grow once they have kids, has three or more years of eligibility left. 76% of FAU's roster right now. That's that's great, like 75, something like that. So that's crazy. I'm sure a lot of I'm sure a lot of teams in Conference USA are in that situation where it leans young, and that's why it's even pushing transfers even more. And the fact that a lot of transfers since 2020 didn't count, you can get transfers. A guy like I mentioned, Morvin Joseph, and I'm just using FAU for example, uh, or I, I can use Marshall. They took a you know a player from South Florida. Uh, uh, you know, a receiver that, you know, was at Florida State for a year. Uh, and I'm um, just Brian Robinson. He still has four years of eligibility left. He's no different than taking a high school player in a lot of ways. So, you know, yeah, it's killing high school recruiting because teams are using their scholarship numbers on transfers. But I and I think change is coming. You know, I, I think that the, with the coaching carousel and everything, I, I I would bet that the early signing period is probably we'll see an end but you know who knows but yeah the rosters could change so much now and they change throughout the course of the offseason and it kind of makes it harder for us uh gas bags to make predictions (laughs) listen you are hitting the nail on the head preaching to the choir in terms of your last sentence right there it definitely makes it difficult for me to a keep track of what's going on in the offseason and it, it, the roster is very much NFL-like in terms of feels like free agency and knowing what's going Eric, on. And yes, sir, what's up? Someone like someone covering, you know, as long as you have, and, and, and you you are adverse in conference say football more than anybody that I know. You know, Mitchell Tinsley transferring to Penn State would, you know, five years ago would have made big headlines. That would have been a huge deal. Now it's just like caught up on. Uh, it's it's just a tweet at 11:30 in the morning on a Tuesday that you might miss. Uh, un, un, undoubtedly, I mean, when you're talking, listen, Shane, when you're talking about, I'll use my beat for example in FIU. When you have three offensive linemen who are now in the Power Five, or I, I guess you can't, Western or not Western Kentucky, Colorado State's not technically Power Five, but you know, three offensive linemen, ones at Purdue, ones at LSU, ones at Colorado State, and you're trying to keep up with the players who go elsewhere and there's so much attrition yes you does the the fact that Mitchell Tinsley is now playing at Penn State in the Big Ten like you mentioned it that that used to be a big time story now it's again it's I'll have to go back and see if Jared McDonald from the uh Bowling Green uh, Daily News if he even wrote a story on that or if that's just a tweet you know a quick post so again really hit the nail on the head on that there We'll get ready to close up this episode. Again, want to thank Shane Marinelli for making time. Shane, let the folks know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, just at Marinelli Shane. Uh, you know, covering FAU uh, and, you know, comp- in recruiting in general. I'm trying to do, you know, a lot more and just kind of the general, how just how kind of crazy all this stuff is and, you know, how it's affecting college football and, you know, what changes could be coming soon. Again, can't recommend Shane's work enough. You can find him at Marinelli Shane on Twitter. You can find the FAU covers as a whole at Owls247. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Again, don't forget about my normal co-host, Joe Lonergan. You can find him on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. He will be back after his nuptials and uh, hopefully it's a little bit of a honeymoon in. I know, uh, again, 
Omicron kind of making things difficult. I just saw a ton of flights were canceled. So hopefully Joe gets a chance to uh, make it out of the country and you know, enjoy his uh, his honeymoon there. So we'll see how that shapes up. But last but not least, you can find us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty and underdogdynasty.com, SB Nation's home for group of five football coverage. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else that you indulge in your podcast. It's the only way we can help this podcast grow. So please feel free to leave us a review. Any negative reviews, send them my way. I can take them. All the positive ones, send them to Joe if you want to hit us up on Twitter. Thank you for listening. Happy football watching as we are still in the midst of bowl season. And we will be back again with Joe and myself as we'll recap the last of the CUSA bowl games and um, really all the offseason moves because we plan to catch up on from there. So thank you for listening. Happy football watching and stay safe. And last but not least, happy New Year's to everyone who hears this podcast. Peace.